0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Aisha Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're talking about truth. Truth is a very unpopular word. (laughs) Nobody likes too much truth. As I will continue speaking, you'll start to get more and more uncomfortable. So I apologize in advance. We have a... uh, Human beings have a really negative... Relationship with truth, and because we're all meaning-making machines, meaning you can't help but make meaning out of everything. In fact, even while I'm speaking right now, you're all just stunned because you're like, "How am I supposed to make meaning out of this?" Like, because it's not easy to make meaning out of real life coming at you all the time. So, so you don't even know what I'm saying right now, which is fine. But because you're such a meaning-making machine, that all the parts of your life that are not true, you build guffa around it. You will actually create a worldview that will fit into the lies. That you tell yourself and others. Did you get that back there? You you got that part. Can you repeat that for everybody, please? Just kidding. The um. But I'm gonna say it again anyway, in case you missed it. And um, whatever part of your life is not true, meaning all the lies you tell yourself and others, is what you do is you you fabricate a worldview that supports it. You'll just create a worldview that supports it, and and then everything seems to fit into the to the bluff of your life. You know, which is one big bluff from every aspect from your diet to your self-image to your looks to your weight to you, you name it it's all part of one big fat lie and not only that but your, even your even your Judaism is probably mostly a lie not that not that the observance of Torah is a lie but your relationship to it is probably filled with all kinds of knucklehead, crazy things that you've made up for why you're why you keep Shabbos or why you do what you do or why you keep them kosher. Like you, you, why you dress modestly. I mean, you probably got a million knucklehead reasons why you've made up about this that have nothing to do with real truth. So even your Judaism's not really based in truth, and so. And then there's the whole, um, and I mentioned already self-image, but self-image is probably the furthest from the truth is your own self-image of yourself. Is, uh, it's highly um, underestimated, meaning those of you, which is all of us, myself included, all, those of us, I'll add myself, those of us who think of ourselves as really unnecessary, not very smart, not needed, uninteresting, Stupid, ugly, boring, lost, weak, and worthless. All of that extreme underestimation of ourselves is also one more, you know, divergence from our truth, which is what's really true about you, which we all know is you're actually created in the image of God. I mean, you're you're great, you're awesome, but how many of you are walking around feeling that way about yourself, you know? almost nobody, and then, uh, and then the other part of you, which is like the, the ballooned up part of you that has you all ballooned up to think you're really great, like you're the best thing since sliced bread, is probably also not very true. What's great about you isn't what you think's great. What's great about you is the real inherent stuff that you don't even recognize, like the real truth inside you. That truth that, of how awesome you are is the part that's amazing. It's just that you're probably ballooned up in all kinds of other areas, compensating for the negativities that you s- say about yourself. Aren't you guys happy we are discussing truth today? Now, he is. It was his idea. You'll have him to blame for this subject. But as I said, you'll be getting more and more uncomfortable as I go. But... But it will be refreshing in the end to maybe have some access to truth that will give you a really happy life because the truth is quite great. The truth is really amazing. And then of course you have moods which are no good for truth. Because when you're in an exaggeratedly high mood, you know, you're just you're like on glue or something. Like you've been sniffing glue. Like you're you're not at all in the real world and, and then when you're in a low mood where you're seeing everything is black it's not black. So you're also very far from truth when it comes to moods. So it's like we have no access to anything true, really. And then you might think, well, Torah. You, you're learning Torah and yeshiva these days? Which yeshiva? Simcha Shloma? Simcha Shloma? Yeah. You're learning with me? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> have I met you yet? Uh, then, like we dance on uh Oh, that was you. Yeah. No, I saw you there. You came and joined us. I was wondering if you were going to join us dancing there. Yeah, and you did. Yeah, that made me happy. It was kind of weird to be the only guy not dancing. but So you just jumped right in. That was great. Welcome, welcome. So, <laughs> I wasn't expecting the one guy I asked where he learns is where I learned. <laughs> <laughs> That's just <like laughs> Murphy's law, you know. <laughs> What's your name, by the way? Yudah. I'm Yomtev. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure. What's your last name? Uh, Con Where are you from? <laughs> Get to know the guy. <laughs> what? Oh, nice, nice from Mali. Great. Awesome. You live in Nakhla, Great. Me too. You're welcome for third meals and stuff. Yeah, I heard that really Everyone's welcome third meal. Anyway, um, which makes you feel really special, I'm sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> truth. So, Yeah, so even your relationship to Torah, like you might say, well, hey, you know, in Sim, you know, I'm learning Torah. Like that's got to be true. That's not true, because you're, you're the lenses you're wearing. By the time you are like have any relationship to the Chazal, you know who are actually explaining Torah to us, because Torah is like completely, it's unintelligible. I mean, there's every single word has seventy possible meanings. So good luck getting anywhere with that without Chazal. Now Chazal put it together for us as best as they can, but that's, of course, only as best as they can. Who knows what the truth is of the 70 meanings of every word? I mean, you have 10 words with 70 meanings. Where are we at with possible meanings of that sentence? Any mathematicians here? Uh, 10 seven words. Seven hundred? 700? So seven no. It's a permutation. Yeah. It's like 700 times 699 times 698 or something like that. It's some crazy number. Yeah. It's a lot yeah, so you want to say, like, your relationship to Torah, well, that's true, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. And then, and then there's, of course, well, you can read art scroll. Isn't that true? No, that's, that was however many rabbis who were big scholars who sat together and said, they, they said, translating it would be impossible. But what if we all sat together and mold over each sentence to have the least misunderstanding? Like, how can we create the least misunderstanding of the Torah? So like, give me a relation with Torah. But let's just say, hypothetically, that you actually got a sentence of Torah to understand. And you do understand it, meaning you learned all 70,000 possibilities of those 10 words. And now you know them all. And we tested you. You know everything on that. Guess what? You still have your own, your own way of looking at things. Well, how do you know the way you look at things has anything to do with truth? I doubt it does. I doubt it does. I know mine doesn't. I know I look at things in the way I want it. I'm twisting it towards all the other things I ever learned. You know, what if I learn something that's so out of the box of everything else I've ever learned that it it causes me cognitive dissonance to add that because that would change everything. So I'm going to learn it in a way that works for me. And how many of us are learning everything so that it works for us? So, what is our relationship with Torah? Are we uncomfortable enough with this discussion? Yeah. yeah. That's like the beauty of Torah; it's that there's so many different meanings. Like everyone takes their own their own view. It's like, yeah, especially like, the conservative and reform. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Like is, a little jab there. Right? Uh, you guys have been to a lot of my classes. I never mentioned conservative and reform, right? You ever heard me? Never comes out. You can be in my class for three years. It was just a joke that I couldn't help but tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, yeah. Good. That's like the beauty of Judaism. You, you, there's not one path to go down. There's so many different things to take based on the of person you are. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, but, uh, and I'm with you on that. And I, I also think that's the beauty. However, mm-hmm. like, like if, there's got to be a real truth there. I mean, part of truth is there's a real truth. And we're always going to be in a version of it. We're always going to be in, in truth version 7.6, you know, based on our experience. So, no, we're just yeah. talking about our relationship to truth now. Okay, so that was our introduction to the subject of truth. Hope you liked it. Now, let's move on in, uh, let's let's see where we can go with this whole truth business. You do have a relationship with truth. You really do. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Um, anyone here brush their teeth at least once a day? Yeah, okay, a couple of you, okay. Uh, now, I'd just like you to say truth, cause it, or because it's true. Okay, everyone try that, because it's true. Okay, very good. Here we go. I'll point to you, and your job is to say, because it's true. You ready? Okay, I'm going to point to this dude in the back in the Patagonia. Because it's true. Well, I didn't ask the question yet. (laughs) Did you brush your teeth at least daily? Because it's true. I didn't ask. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. You say yes. Why? Because it's true. Excellent. Excellent. Um, You sleep once in a while? (laughs) Right, because if you don't sleep, You know, the immune system goes down, and then you, like, get susceptible to a million different things, yeah. So why do you sleep? Because it's true. Because it's true. If you don't sleep, you're in trouble, right? Um, You eat a couple times a day? Yeah. Why? Because it's true. Excellent. Right? Because you don't eat, man. You're in trouble. So so we're doing a lot, a lot of stuff because it's true. So we do have access to truth. Meaning the, begin- the intro of this class was that you don't have any access to truth. Uh, chapter two of this class is you have a lot of access to truth. And in fact, you're learning all the time what is true. And one of those things is wearing a seatbelt in a car or a helmet on a bicycle or a motorcycle. These are all truths. And looking both ways before you cross the street, these are truths. So when it comes to survival, or at least physical survival, we have a lot of truth that we're involved in. Um, Also, um, I think a lot of people have the humility, and certainly people in this room have the humility, to know that they don't really know on their own, and therefore they're referring or deferring to Torah and the wise sages of history to guide them. Uh, Raise your hand here if someone's guiding you right now. Like, not me teaching, I'm saying, like, you actually have someone kind of holding your hand through life, whether it's a Rebbe, a Rebetzin, a counselor, uh, someone wise, grandma, Raise your hand if you got someone guiding you right now. Like, really guiding you. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, and so that that's part of the truth you're living now. <laughs> All the people who couldn't raise their hand right then, you're on your own. You know, which is not a good idea. And, and by the way, you have, one of the reasons people don't have guides they're afraid, what if it's not really the right guide? But g- there's nothing wrong with having a temporary guide until you find a better one. But going guideless is not... So smart. You want you want to have someone guiding your way. I, it's also really important. I mean, I have a whole class on this on YouTube called "Finding a Rav," finding a Rav on YouTube. It's a one-hour class: how to find a guide in your life. And uh, but one of the one of the pitfalls is if they can't have an agenda for you. I Meaning, if their agenda is like you're happily married one day, that's okay. <laughs> but other than that, like no real agendas. They they have to be willing to allow the wildness of your soul to develop, you know, and, and that may mean pretty out of the blue, kind of out there advice. Um, but there's a lot of guides who aren't true guides and they're always covering their tracks cause they don't want to ever get back to them that, you know, they led you on some wild journey, you know, but, but you want to, you, anyway, there's a whole class on that. It's an hour class on YouTube called finding a Rove. And it, it really kind of puts, it puts all the parameters of what it means to guide somebody for real and let them make their own mistakes. And, but at the same time, uh, be, a, be a net for them when they're making those mistakes. And, and obviously, helping them avoid those mistakes, but also not taking away free will. There's a whole, all kinds of details. Yes? Is like picking a rabbi, like picking a like shelf off, like... Right. Well, that's the danger of it is the non-guides will we'll be picking a Hushkafa. They're going to guide you towards their Hushkafa. Those are non-guides. By the way, you may like someone's Hushkafa. I've been to Shabbos tables where I was like, I love this place. Like, this is the energy. And so I, I made them part of my guidance because I wanted a Shabbos table like that. You understand? But I was totally picking and They are not true guides. They were just, I said, you know what? I'm taking these people for guidance because I want somehow my Shabbos table should wind up like this Shabbos table. And so I got really close to the family and let the rub of the family guide me in a lot of aspects of my life. Because it is picking a shkufa, but that's not true guidance. A true guide, there's no shkaf. You know, like, for example, uh, uh, my guide, my guide is, you know, he, I mean, he's super hardcore. I mean, this is a kabbalistic, sleeps two hours a day, only eats the food that keeps his body alive. He's been going like this for like 40 years and he doesn't sleep Thursday nights and he doesn't sleep Shabbos night. So I don't know if you can call that two hours a day. But he just is a totally, he's a total Merlin. And he's a, and he's a, one of the great masters of our generation of the Ramchal, the Kisveri, um, the Balatanya, who's, all his writings are of the most Kabbalistic level. It was before Chabad really got on his feet. This is just the, the one who sat at the Magid's Tish in Europe, the Palatanya. Uh, the and anyway, he's one of the masters in our generation of all those works. Not to mention a halachic, uh, you know, a posik in halacha. He's huge, but he's very reclusive. No one has ever heard of him. No one even knows who he is. His uh, secret. And he's my little secret. I found him. And uh, I've never left him. Second I met him, I was like, this is it. And I'm with him now, 20... Four years, and the um, anyway, but there's no hashkafa, no hashkafa. Do you think that a Jew has to pick a hashkafa? What? Do you think that a Jew has to pick a hashkafa? You do. I did, I did, and I'm I'm a pince carlino chosid wearing the gold zebra, you know, robe on Shabbos, and and I'm part of that hashkafa. I chose hashkafa. My guide is not from there. Not from there, nothing to do with the place. Hushkafa means worldview. Like, you a community that shares more or less your view. Um, I just want to mention, uh, while we're on that, and then we'll go back to the truth thing, but this relates, is that you need a community, for anyone here not raised observant or raised litfish, you need a community. You actually need a community. And, and but especially uh Bali Chuva need a community. The, meaning if you raise raised you raise raised lit, okay, you can survive without a community, it's fine, you know, it's enough you guys are together on simplest day or whatever, whenever everyone's together, right? once a year or at a briss or something, I don't know, when, when they get together, you know, but the, um, but for Bully Chua to be community-less is, it's not so good, it's not good for the kids Kids need to feel part of something because you don't really have the generations to show they can't go over to bubby and Zadie's house you know and get bounced on the knee of a white bearded man and you know which with, which in, in the in the other communities you've got that or a non community yeshivish community where they at least got the zadie with the beard and the, and so that helps the kids a lot so if someone's raised non observant it's, it makes sense to have a community so the kids get context to life because you can't teach a kid Torah kids start Torah at like 10, 11, 12, maybe now 8, they're starting Mishnah but they're really not anywhere with it so you're going to wait 10 years to start training your child that's not going to be very good you want, you want them in a community where there's community experience happening all around them so they feel part of something but by the time they start being able to learn with their father. Understand? To give them that connection that you could give them. Needs, uh, they need a connection before that to the traditions. You know, they need all the thousands of years wrapped up in the glowing-eyed, white-bearded members of the community. That, you know, if they're nice, will take you in and make you feel part of things. Um... While I'm on that subject, uh, don't overdo it, though, because because if you overdo it, you can never pretend to be raised observant. And if you overdo it, it puts your kids in a very uncomfortable position of dad, dad, the faker. And and so, you know, they got they got the faker dad. And it's who's trying to be like everybody, but you can never do it. There's no way to join the observant community and ever look normal. You'll never be normal. And you should, it's a blast. and You should love it. And they love you so much more for who you are than anything they would ever love you for, pretending you're like them. You understand? Like, they'll pat you on the back. They'll make you feel good that you pronounce something right for a change. But um, that's not why they love you. You understand? They love you for who you are. They don't love you for the fact that you're able to pretend you're one of them. And uh, and it's really not good for your children because children see through bluffing parents. So we're kind of on truth right now as This is truth. You know, be be yourself all the way, and um, don't go against the community. Meaning, be part of things, but be yourself part of things. Your kids will find their own way. Um. Yeah. So. So back to our connection to truth is, um, we have guides. Um, we also, we also, we, we do have Torah study and we, we have the chance to, to put as much Torah as possible into our minds and our hearts to guide us. So that, so there is an access to truth, big time, big time there. And, um, But the, the, what, I'd like to, what I'd like to focus on, though, is your, is your own relationship to yourself as being true. Is to see yourself as awesome. Like, on, Let's try that together. Everyone on three say, I am awesome, but with like all your heart. With all your heart. I am awesome. Now, for those of you who think that's ego-oriented, it's not ego-oriented. To say anything else is like spitting at your maker. You're creating in his image. So, if you're not awesome, then he's not awesome. You're saying God's not awesome? He didn't make you awesome? Like, you are amazing. You are awesome. So, let's try I am awesome, okay? With all your heart, right? One, two, three. I am awesome. I totally didn't buy that. <laughs> that was not it at all. Yeah, let's try that again. Uh, we're doing I am awesome, but with enthusiasm and heart, okay? Okay. We'll, uh, maybe we'll try it with our eyes closed so you're not embarrassed in front of me. I'll close my eyes it. Okay, everyone close your eyes. Your eyes aren't closed. I can feel you looking. Okay, ready? One, two, three. I am awesome. Take a breath. We'll do one more heartfelt one. One, two, inhale. Three. I am awesome. Breath. Opening up the eyes. Did you close your eyes? The, uh, anyway, the... How many of you felt it to your core? and how, Raise your hand if you felt it to your core, or raise your hand if you felt like you were, like... That was a joke, okay? <laughs> okay, felt it to your core raise your hand? Felt it to your core, okay? <laughs> that was a joke. Okay, and the rest of you were lying... Okay. All right. So what I'm going to ask everyone to do is to is to put up a white flag of surrender. I want you to surrender between a battle. What is that battle? It's the battle between who you are and who you say you are. A battle between who you are, which is awesome, and who you say you are, which we're not getting into here. And I don't want to even hear which, who you say you are. you know. And probably half of it you don't even hear. So you, what you do is is we're going to surrender. We have to surrender to truth. I mean, in the end, we're all going to a place called Olam Ha'emes, the world of truth. We're all going to be showing up there. You have a question? Yeah, just before I ask, a little unclear. Can you give us a good definition of what truth is? Um in the context we're in right now, which is super broad, it's every aspect. No, I don't really. But let me give it a shot. It it stands up it stand truth would stand up. In every situation, every attack, every no matter what it would be, it would it would survive. It. Truth would survive every situation. Like for example, Torah being true would survive Hawking's or. Um, uh, Stephen Hawking's, or uh, what's that guy's name Adam not Adam no. who's the famous atheist who's on YouTube Bennett, Dawkins. what Dawkins Daniel Dennett Dawkins Dennett and who's the young guy who's into meditation and psychedelics Sam Harris. Sam Harris thank you Torah would survive that if it can't survive that so then it's questionable understand it has to survive atheist websites now you're you're hemming and hawing over that because you're thinking of the flood the flood doesn't have to be a physical flood Torah has to be true like I'm teaching a class next hour for the Gesher program here in discovery it doesn't matter who you are walking in the door of that class. Every single person leaves that class knowing for 100% fact that a human being did not write the Torah, that it was not written by a, human, by a human. Well, that doesn't leave a lot of other options. I mean, possibly another intelligence is playing a fast one on us and did a whole Torah and prophecy and Sinai and Moses and Jews crossing the desert and. You understand? But Torah being true, it's it's either stands up to it or 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 it's not true. Now not everyone's equipped to deal with those questions and also and also um, there's a diffuse thinking that you may not be aware of in your own way of thinking. What's your name? Ellie. Ellie, you mind that we're having this dialogue? You're cool with this dialogue? Yeah. So, Ellie, there's, there might be a diffuse way of thinking that's also part of access to truth. I'm not sure. What I mean by that is that there's... Um, a diffuse way of thinking would be, for example, remember I mentioned the flood. So, uh, so a literal flood that flooded the earth with more water than exists in, the, in our universe not our universe but who knows what's out there in the universe but on our earth in our atmosphere a flood that flooded the earth with more water than exists doesn't have to be taken literally for torah to be true do you know why i'm not even sure I got that but no do you know why the flood didn't have to happen literally for torah to be true You don't know. So I'll answer quickly, okay? You want the answer, really? You're with me. Good. Okay. Does anyone else want the answer of how you don't have to have a flood happen for Torah to be true? You want the answer? So, so, the Torah itself, meaning this combination of of letters here in Hebrew, that combination of letters has absolutely nothing to do with what the translators or even the, even what, let's say you are a master of Torah, the actual, what's called pshat level of Torah, those letters may or may not have anything to do with anything in the physical world. For example, the Torah is counting days when the sun's created on the fourth day. What's that supposed to mean? A day for everyone, no, everyone knows a day is the relationship between the earth and the sun. So a day can't be less than or more than the 24 hours it takes for the earth to spin when with the sun there. And you have to have a relative body of... You have to have a relative lumina- luminary and call that a day. So Torah's already counting days before there's a sun. Well, what's that supposed to mean? What are you supposed to do with that? Oh, now it's not true? <laughs> it's already not true in the first chapter. You understand? Like the uh, very, very beginning of Torah, it's already not true because sun's created on the fourth day. And why is it using the word days? What are days? What are days without a sun? When I study Kabbalah, Ellie, and, I'm, you know, we're doing our all-night work Thursday nights when we learn late. You're welcome to join, by the way. <laughs> it's almost unintelligible, but you can certainly jump in my van and join me. It's, it's amazing just being in the presence of the teacher, even though you, it's hard to understand It gets more understandable later in the night. But early starts super Kabbalistic. When we're learning the Parsha, like the Parsha of the week, like for example, last week was Parsha's Vaira. And the piece we were learning did reflect the story, Mm -hmm. so that was cool. But so many times I'm learning the Parsha with him. And I keep looking up at the top of the book because it tells you what Parsha you're on. And And I keep... I look at the Rebbe, I'm like, what does this have to do with the Parsha? And he's like, this is the Parsha. It's just inside, 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 inside. We're in inside. We're on the code level. We're right now. We are in string theories. We're in, we're in, we're in combinations of letters. It's, it's a code. Our world, this physical world, is the outer edge of an entire gigantic matrix of spiritual realities, parallel universes, of how light becomes matter. So the Torah is creating that entire system all the way down to this place. So what is a flood? And were Adam and Eve on this earth, if Torah is true? And the answer is, no, they weren't. They were in a realm called Yitzira till they denied eating the fruit. When they denied eating the fruit... They were punished and God hid himself. What does it mean, God hid himself? He's playing hide and seek? God went and hid under a basement, in a basement somewhere? No, what it meant was God chunked the world down another notch into a world called Asiya, our world. God put the world down in the world of Asiya, this world, which is called hiding, because now you can't see him. But when you read the story of the Garden of Eden, isn't there clearly a Garden of Eden? Now, there's for sure a Garden of Eden juxtaposed in our world that would be juxtaposed to it. And there's even Kabbalists who know where it is. Somewhere near Iraq or something. And that, so it's the juxtaposed place to that world. So what exactly was the flood? We don't know. We have no idea. But you, it's an v- extremely immature view and an overly focused view, not a diffuse view, but a way overly focused and, and erroneous view to judge Torah by whether or not a flood happened. You understand that? Like when you're talking about a book that is is layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of depth, all of it code, all of it code, every single word of it is just code. There's even those who found the periodic table, you know, the periodic chart, hydrogen, oxygen, all of them, with their, they have an atomic number of their atoms. So they actually, there's someone who found the exact correlation of the atomic numbers with the counting of the Jews leaving Egypt, that the atomic numbers are matching up. The atomic numbers of the periodical tale are matching up with the numbers of the Jews who left Egypt, meaning, because how many of you have been sitting there in shul during the book of Numbers by Midmar, and you're just like, I, I'm going to pull my hair out listening to like counts over and over again. Like, why do they keep counting these people? Like, who cares? And, and not to mention, we just had Genesis, where it tells, it does simple math for us. It tells us how long he lived till he had someone, and then how long he lived after he had him. And then it says, and all the years of his life were. I mean, I can do math. I don't need you to tell me that. Over and over again, for every single person, for ten generations. When when we're taught, there's not one extra letter or word in the Torah. this book is unintelligible in its encoding and what it's up to. We have no idea what it's up to. It repeats the whole entire thing of what's in the temple. Like, everything gets repeated. For a book that has no extra letters, I mean, that's quite, a re- quite an extra. An entire two parshas of repeat. So we can never gauge whether this is true on on YouTube Atheist website, Atheist websites, YouTube videos. We ain't nobody's food. And I always feel bad that, uh, what's that Jewish guy with the kippah who's uh, politically fighting with everybody's conservative? Ben Shapiro. Shapiro. That dude should not be defending Torah. I mean, I thought he he was, he's great at defending everything else, but he shouldn't be defending Torah because that's the answer. You should just go straight to the answer that, we're not going to discuss it because because it's not something that you can even get near. But he'll actually try to discuss it. And it sometimes looks really bad. And when you're talking to a guy like, what was his name again? Sam Harris, you kind of look like a fool. I would not leave a Sam Harris interview looking like a fool. He would have to agree in the end. He's very smart, he would say. Okay, if that's what you're saying, we, don't, we can't discuss it. And I was like, okay, great. Let's not discuss it. But we're not going to make or those who keep it look like a fool in the end and the kid's know dummy by the way Ben is brilliant but I think he spent more time studying other things than Kabbalah from what I can tell okay everyone um, that was our truth day it was kind of a weird day I'm also having a weird day I totally woke up on the wrong side of the universe today so <laughs> I apologize I only got like a little more dynamic in like the last 10 minutes but I really felt like, like I didn't have much of a pulse today Not just in your class, the whole day. Shalom everyone, that's Loch Rabbah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.